We're continuing our series in 1 John, so would you turn with me in your scriptures to 1 John, it's towards the very end, just flip back a little bit from Revelation, 1 John chapter 4. And as you flip there, I just want to add this past week, I got the opportunity to go back up to Charlottesville, where I'm from. Uh, It was the last large group of RUF, and so I got to see the guys who I started with uh, discipling graduate, and it was a real gift. But I got to spend some time walking around grounds, they call it grounds, um, instead of campus, walking around grounds, walking around the city. Charlottesville's a small place, if you've ever been there, and I was walking around. And I just got to think of all these memories that I had looking at different places, but I love looking at the different houses and things as I pass by. And I pass by, there's a number of frat houses, sorority houses, and I remember thinking like, okay, who's in this house? Like, oh, that house is in bad shape. That house is rough. That house is pretty. And I got to drive, um, spend some time going back to where we lived, where Elizabeth and my family lived, and, you know, people are moving quick. So I've seen, like, some houses that have been redone even recently, cut down a bunch of hedges, or they've changed the house, or they even knocked it down and built a new one. And we're walking around and seeing, like, some of the houses are beautiful, just really well done. There's someone taking care of it. I remember one house. It's not an impressive house in terms of its structure, but it's got, like, a little front porch on the side and a little dormer, and they've, they've put in this cute little white fence uh, next to it, and a series of gardens in the ground, and they have this swing on the front porch that has a little sign that says, anyone can take a rest here. And I always drive by that one, and I think, someone takes such good care of that house, right? I can tell that someone loves being there. And I always wonder, I'm like, who lives in that house? That's why I find myself asking, who lives in that house? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. I want to know it just because I'm, I'm intrigued, right? I want to know the fact, like, who is it that lives in this house that they take good care of it? But there's also a deeper desire, right? There's a resonance to the beauty. I don't want to just know factually. I want to know familiarly. Like, right? I, want to know, I want to be familiar. I want to know intimately. Who is it who takes care of this house in this way? Who is it who lives here that brings such a sense of joy and beauty to me. I want to know this person. In many ways, I want to be with this person, right? I want to be part of their house. And that's actually a hope that I have for us this morning. That we would know who lives in this house just talking in communicants class. The church is the body of Christ, the temple of the living God, the household of him. We should want to know who lives in our house. I want to know that. I want to know him intimately as I see the beauty of what he's working. And so how do we know that? I want to actually take us back. I said starting with verse 4. I'm going to start right at the end of chapter 3, verse 24. Hear the word of God with me. 
And by this, we know that God abides in us. By the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever listens, knows God, listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this we know. The apostle is concerned that we would know factually but intimately who it is who abides in us. Did you hear that? He abides in us. By this we know it by the Spirit whom he has given us. We know who dwells in a house by the Spirit of the house. We know who dwells in the church in our body by the Spirit that dwells there and bears fruit in it, right? The Spirit is very important. (laughs) If you're going to take notes, right, just underline Spirit important, right? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is important, It is life-giving. He is life-changing. And I think we don't talk about him enough, which is a shame because Jesus talked about him a lot, right? He says in John 14, in the gospel, right, I am sending you a helper to be with you forever. That's John 14, 16 and 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How does he come to us? Through the Spirit. It's not just his presence. He says it's even to our advantage. Right? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. God says it is to your advantage that he sends the Holy Spirit. I mean, if someone made a promise to me that, like, no, trust me, it's going to be better that I do this because you're going to get this, I'm going to want to know what it is that he's going to be sending me, right? Do we want to know who he's sending us? And what is the Spirit? At the very beginning of Acts, this is a fascinating description, right, that once you see these things, the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, we're told what the Spirit is. While the apostles were staying in Jerusalem, Jesus ordered them not to depart, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. 
the long-awaited gift of God. The thing we're supposed to have been waiting for all year round, right? It is the Christmas gift, as it were. The promise of the Father. And not just a promise, but a guarantee. Paul writes it like this, the beginning of Ephesians. Right? He says, this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The seal, the signature, the guarantee, the down payment, the reality that is to be realized is the Holy Spirit. How we know the presence of God is by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it actually strikes the apostles themselves. Much of the book of Acts is an account of this. You remember perhaps the scene, if you've grown up in the church, there's a time where Peter is praying and he sees this vision from God where all these unclean animals he's being told to eat and then he's invited into a Gentile's home, which is not where he's supposed to go. But he goes and feels led by the Spirit of God to go and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to these non-Jewish believers. And what happens? This is Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Could anyone stop them if they have received the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit was the sign to the apostles, the heads of the church after Christ, of what they should do. The Holy Spirit was the guarantee, the author, the authority. Right? They were marked But, well, the Spirit did it. We are amazed. The sign to them was the power of the Holy Spirit and thus the presence of God. And what's the result of that? There's a lot about various gifts and things in the Scriptures, but the main thing, as is corroborated throughout the Scriptures, is this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy. Inexpressible joy. Joy through sorrow. Joy through pain. Joy through suffering. Joy through trial, joy through the unexpected is the primary sign of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you're happy all the time. 
but it means in the midst of your circumstances, God has given you a power so powerful, so unexplainable that it even manifests in speaking in tongues as a sign here that the craziness of it, that they would have joy. I want joy. I want to know this person who lives in this house. I want him to live in this house. I want that sort of joy. Do you want that sort of joy? God is asking us that question. And it's important for us to reckon with it. First, I want to make a note to us in our tradition, our Reformed tradition, which sometimes I think about in this way, from Acts 19. This is Acts chapter 19, if you want to follow along. I'm going to read the first few verses. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Oh, Lord. Well, until what then were you baptized? And they said, Well, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, I know there is much, perhaps, for us to examine and be skeptical of in certain Pentecostal movements, But there is also much for us to examine ourselves. Do we live life in Christ like disciples of John? We have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. (laughs) Y'all, the Holy Spirit, not our confessions, not our doctrines, is the sign of God's power and presence. We believe as Paul said, and for the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit through faith, not just through faith, we receive the Holy Spirit through faith. We should examine ourselves. We should get on our knees. We should plead, God, fill us with your Spirit. We believe, help our unbelief. Give us joy again. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. But John goes on to the churches here. This is the second point. This could be primarily our sermon today. There's a second reason we need to know the Spirit. Not only for the joy of salvation, but because of this. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. There are many spirits in the world. Not just the Holy Spirit. We live in a sort of disenchanted age where we don't tend to think in terms of spirits. 
but we do use the term quite a bit even still, right? We, we can mean spirits in terms of entities, right? You might think of like evil spirits or good spirits, whether you believe in them or not, we think in terms of those, those categories. But we also talk about like spirits of the age, right? The milieu, the culture. How often do I hear people reference the culture? What is the culture? The spirit of the age, right? That is work in men, right? We might mean kind of the feeling and the phenomenon, like a haunting. And we might mean temperament, right? Someone's mean-spirited or ill-spirited, right? What, Paul, what the apostle here, what John is saying and reminding us whether we have particular encounters with an actual entityship of the spirit, behind the spirit of the age, the temperament of someone, the feelings that we have, there are spirits. There are realities to our world that have entityship that are beyond our categories. And we could have a whole talk on all of those things, but we just want to be mindful and focus on what the apostle here is telling us. He is actually focusing on spirits. Look at this. For many false prophets have gone into the world. He's talking about spirits in terms of teachers. He's talking about spirits in terms of influence. Right? We ask, what inspires you? What does inspire me? In spirit. What spirits in you? What inspires you? Who inspires you? Who influences you, right? In an age of Instagram or Twitter, when we talk about influencers, it's a really good way to actually think about this. Who are your influencers? Who are your influencers? Who moves you? If I look at your habits or I look at your home, if I was, you know, all up on Instagram or whatever, I might be able to tell you who your influencers are by the way that you dress or the way that you decorate your home or the way that you aspire to various things, right? Whether it's blog posts or Instagram posts or essays or whatever it is that you read, right? There are influences in our lives. And this question of discerning the spirits is not just about who are those people or who are those things, but what is the power behind them? While there might be some people who have blogs or various kinds of teaching careers just for the fun of it, there's always something behind teaching or influence. And so we should ask, who's behind this? What do they have to gain? Someone sells and creates a popular Instagram page because it makes money and it makes influence for themselves. Well, how do they make money, right? We talked about this. How does someone make money from a YouTube channel or an Instagram page? Do you pay for it? No. Who pays for it? Advertisers pay for it. Advertisers pay for it because it will influence you. Not just so they get to know what your likes and dislikes are, but so they can shape your dislikes and your likes. Particularly shape them to what they want to sell you. Okay? That's influence. <laughs> That's a spirit. Teachers, influencers, are inspired 
to inspire us for the sake of the one controlling them. So the question is, who do you follow? Who do you obey? Because who we obey, that's who abides in us. Right? That's who shapes us. That's who influences us. And so the apostle is warning us, do not believe every spirit. All that glitters is not gold. And a lot of gold is worthless anyway. Okay? So we need to ask who it is is influencing us. We need to test the spirits, as it says. But test the spirits. What does it mean to test a spirit? Okay, I, Carrie Christian just had AP exams in here, right? We're not talking about AP exams. This is not a percentage game, right? Well, they got a C plus, that's okay, okay? We're not, we're not like here to give them multiple choice tests of people coming in to see how much they pass our ideas, right? John's actually very black and white here. There is pass and there is fail. There is no C plus, okay? Okay, so what is it? It's not a shibboleth or an inquisition. Does anyone know what a shibboleth is? We use this sometimes. So it's in the scripture when, when the Israelites, the Ephraim, they're, they're, anyway, let's not get into it. There was a ford, okay? The northern group couldn't say shibboleth. They didn't have the right accent, and so they said sibboleth or something like that, right? And if they didn't say it right, they got killed. And if they did say it right, they got through, right? It was an in-out. It was like, tell me the password, okay? Sometimes we can go about testing people in life like that. Do you have the password? If I blow my little dog whistle, do you say the right thing? I've been part of a denomination well along enough that we like to have lots of little dog whistles to just see whether you're in the right crowd how you react to this thing that I say, okay? While that might be a test of spirits, it's not a very good test because what it's doing is just aggrandizing my own views. And we're not here to just go on a buffet line either. I'll test this and I'll test a little of this and I'll test a little of this, okay? We're not AP testing. We're not out here to do a shibboleth or an inquisition. We're not here to do a buffet. Right, so I was trying to think of like what way to think about this, and it's almost more like some of you are science people, it's almost more like litmus testing. Right? You're devoting yourself to studying, to observing, to theorizing. And every test, in some ways, maybe shows, okay, well that maybe that that didn't quite feel right, or that didn't quite produce this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go at this again. I'm gonna keep watching. I'm gonna keep studying. I'm gonna keep observing. Because it shapes your theory as it goes on, right? Just like I'm going to keep, if I had a personal trainer or a physical therapist, I'm going to keep at what they're telling me to do to test it out as I grow. Our testing of the spirits is actually about how we're being shaped. It's not me trying to put up certain little password check marks, because that just assumes that I'm okay. No, the question is about our formation. And so to test the spirits is to see what kind of fruit is it producing? What kind of impact is this having? 
how is it refining the theories of life or how it is that I work, right? Because we're becoming. And so John gives us two ways to think about this. Two ways to think about testing. The first one's verses two and three. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Period. John's very black and white, right? And he hones us in in this way. What does it mean? Does not confess Jesus, Christ has come in the flesh. That's what it says in the ESV. Perhaps a more clear way to render that is that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the physical human being, is the Christ, the promised king and embodiment of God. So this is what John is concerned about. Does someone confess that Jesus is the Christ? What it can't mean is that, is that the only thing that they say? We, we say lots of things in life. We do lots of things in life. It's not like you don't go into math class and be like, do you confess that Jesus is the Christ, right? Someone's going to sell you a house. Do you confess Jesus is the Christ? That's not, we're not putting every single thing to the test here. What we're doing is observing. Confession is more than just your mouth. It is how you live. It is the manifestation. It is the influence Does this person's influence suggest that they believe Jesus of Nazareth is who he says he is? Do they obey Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ? And that is important because it is easy to abstract Christ. It is easy to talk about like, if you're in kind of high theology circles, like the Christ event or the Christ figure, right? whatever merit those may have, we don't actually just proclaim Christ. We proclaim Jesus is Christ. And so who Jesus is matters very much to our view of God. Regardless of whatever systematic theology or philosophy or senses of religion, what Jesus did, who Jesus is, matters. And who Jesus is, as is relayed to in the Gospels, is to give us a picture of God. Not only of who he is, but how he's calling us to be. And so Jesus, he goes and he heals. He lays his hand upon the tabooed and the outcast. He becomes a friend of sinners. Not sinners in a, in a general sense, like actual people who would be known by their sin enough to call them sinners. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. Like he had a meal with them. He sat down and was friends with them. Right? He challenged religious authorities. He stood up before an unjust political system. He spent his life going around bearing witness against the greed and the gluttony, the immorality of the world by his life by taking children into his arm and holding them up, by holding up the least, by sending tender words to those who are guilty. So the question, one encouragement is to go and read the Gospels 
for who Jesus of Nazareth was. And then to ask yourself, to ask one another, do our influences, use your senses, do our influences look, taste, smell, sound like Jesus of Nazareth? For a spirit that confesses that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ will influence you to become like him because they're from God. And a spirit who does not confess that will not look like, sound like, smell like, taste like Jesus. And that's really important. We could go on and talk about all the influences of the world Right? But I'm here to shepherd us in the church. So examine people who are in the church. What right do we have to judge those who are outside? None. Judge for yourselves those who are within. There are many who hold themselves up to be teachers. Whether through essays, blog posts, books, speaking, pulpits, whatever. Ask yourself, as you examine patiently their life, do they sound like Jesus of Nazareth? Or do they hold up some of the things that he says are true in an arrogant, haughty, unkind, ungenerous way? There has been much of that throughout history, but especially over the past few years. There are many in the church who, out of fear, out of anger, betray themselves to be more shaped by spirits of the world than spirits of Jesus of Nazareth who was silent before his persecutors. Examine, test the lives of those who would influence you. Are they like Jesus? And the second one he goes in, verses 5 and 6, right? They are from God. From, I mean, they're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. We being the, he shifted the mode of not only the whole church, but the apostles, right? He's juxtaposing those who are real prophets, false prophets, the apostles sent from God and those not sent from God. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, right? So we're kind of saying it's not only the character of one's confession, but it, it's, it's kind of also like the character of the crowd, right? What kind of audience does a person bring in? Who does he surround himself with? Who does she surround herself with? Right, we're all attracted to various speakers and influences, we have a tendency to gravitate toward those that kind of affirm us in some way or another, whether that's we want a sense of challenge or we just want to be, you know, here complaining so we like someone who complains about the same thing that we complain about, okay? We have a tendency to gravitate. And so someone who is from God, someone who confesses that Jesus is the Christ is going to attract the similar kinds of people that Jesus attracted in a way similar to Jesus, the apostles are going to try to attract similar people. And so we, in one way, we test by observing the person, but we also test by those who listen to them. 
Did you hear that the apostle was very concerned about who listens to who's speaking? And so we're to examine, and this is not just examining others, this is examining ourselves. What's the kind of crowd that I find myself in? What's the kind of crowd that I'm observing around this person that I want to listen to? This person's telling me about like new economic insights. What is the crowd like around them? Is it a bunch of people who are really worried? Is there a spirit of worry? Or this person's telling about all the issues in society and they're talking about how they're going to reform them and how they want to break this down and raise this up and there's anger, it's just anger. Is there a spirit of anger? We look at those who are around them. In this, we also have to be cautious with, again, going back to the Gospels, go back to the Scriptures, and check ourselves of our expectations of who would rightly be around a right teacher. Jesus was accused of being a glutton. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. Well, Jesus was a prophet, and he did know what kind of woman was touching him. And he became friends with her. And he loved her. I can find in myself, and I think there's a tendency throughout church history, and we see it always in new ways, we see it today, that our view of like what Jesus is doing and pulling in people is like a civilization, right? Like we can examine like, oh, well, whether we say it or not, like those people seem pretty well-to-do. They seem to have gotten back on their feet. They seem to be doing pretty okay. I, I like what they're doing. And since like that, well, yeah, Jesus must be really good because he's pulling in all the really good people. Except Jesus pulled in a really motley crew of people. A real motley crew of people, okay? The apostles were a motley crew of people. And so I want to challenge us as we think about examining audiences. Before you go in judging what it looks like, tells, smells like, ask yourself, who would Jesus have around him? Because I think we have a tendency to think otherwise. And maybe actually listening to the apostles is going to put us shoulder to shoulder with people whom we have radical disagreements with. Who we look different than. We love differently than them. We talk differently than them. This is not to say that none of those disagreements are meant to be reconciled. Jesus Christ is reconciling all things in himself and bringing together into one body the many. But that means many, okay? It is a process. They walk with Jesus. If anyone is promising you some quick fix schemes of salvation or redemption or your life is going to get better, Please go back to the Gospels and examine how Jesus calls people. We are not here for quick fixes. 
We are here for the one fix that God has done and the sanctification that he is bearing out in our lives. And we can unite with one another in that. And so we examine the character of the confession and we examine the character of the crowd around them. Okay? That is calling us to a constant attention. It is a vigilance. It is a posture of life. And that might sound a bit overwhelming. I know this is an age where many of us just want to kind of zone out or veg out or binge. We could have a whole sermon on that, okay? Right? I know we actually want to escape the difficulties of life. We don't want Jesus to be calling us into something difficult. But Jesus calls you into something difficult. Because whether you're paying attention or not is not a matter of whether you're being influenced. You absolutely are being influenced. The whole world, our entire economy is predicated on you being influenced. So the question is, by whom? And are you willing to let yourself become slaves to the elementary principles of the world? Or do you want to be freed in Jesus Christ? Or as he puts it, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Do you want to, out of safety and convenience, let yourself be overcome by all the false and shoddy promises of this world? Or do you want to overcome them by the eternal promises of God? It is a heavy thing to enter into. But I think about when we dunk someone, well, we don't dunk people in baptism here, I guess, when we sprinkle them. It doesn't have the same effect. But if you were in a place where they dunk and you dunk someone in baptism, right, I put them under the water. No one wants to be put under the water. But it's so I can raise you up. We're not here to drown you. But I am here to dunk you and wake you up a bit, okay? Pay attention. God calls us to overcome False spirits are deceivers. In fact, the gospel is about overcoming. Jesus himself says it, and he speaks in Matthew 24, right? See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in all manners of places. But these are just the beginnings of the birth pangs. You will be delivered up to tribulation. You will be put to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And betray one another as many fall away and even hate one another. And many false prophets will arise. And because of lawlessness increase, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Those who endure in the love of God against tribulation and hardship, they proclaim the kingdom of heaven. 
The book of Hebrews, in many ways, is all about endurance in faith. We endure by the right character of God. We endure by loving. And how do we do that? By having him abide in us. Y'all, you know what it is to be tired? I used to run cross country. I was, ti- I was tired like the first minute. That goes, I haven't noticed, right? Tired the first minute that I go out there. How do you endure, right? I might be able to muster up certain training and experience and, and energy and whatnot, but the Holy Spirit, remember, Holy Spirit is important. The Holy Spirit is given as a helper, a helper to endure us to encourage us, to keep us. He abides in us as we abide in his strength to endure in love. That's why we shouldn't be led astray. That's why we have to pay attention. Because we could be easily led astray. So are you being overcome or are you overcoming? And the encouragement that Jesus himself gives us in his gospel, right? Behold, the hour is now coming and indeed has come. I have said these things that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world the world, united to him by his spirit through faith, you too can overcome the world. It is his strength by his spirit at work in us. We have to fix our eyes and let him. And he's greater. That's what I just want to end us with. Did you, did you see this in the middle of our passage? I just love... Verse 4, right? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I mean, greater means more powerful, more mighty. The only one that can save, right? The spirit that hovered over the waters is the one that raised Jesus up from the grave. That is the spirit that is greater than anything else in the world because it made the world and overcomes the world and not even death can hold it back. It's a greater spirit, greater than any other promise that is being made to us. But greater doesn't just mean more powerful, it means more. It means deeper, broader, more complex, more wild. It is greater in ex- in, in, than our expectations, our prejudices, our insecurities. Remember, Peter was struck. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles. Who, can, who could stop them from being baptized? Would you open yourself up to a greater God than your expectations? A greater God than your prejudices? A greater God than what you think you already know about what he is doing? I'm not saying that doctrine is not important. We are rooted in the preaching of the apostolic confession. But even they are struck by the Spirit of God and are opened to what the Spirit is doing. He is deeper and broader and wider and higher than we can imagine. Would we let him be? And it doesn't just mean more powerful or just more deep, but also better, sweeter, 
truer. Right? We say, that was great. What do we mean? We probably actually mean like, it was really good. I enjoyed it. It was lovely. The Spirit is the one who gives water to the thirsty, who gives food to the hungry. Right? We live in a world where all manners of things are clamoring to tell us, we'll help you with your insecurities. We'll help you with this. We'll help you with that. We'll help you. And they could be good, right? Like it's, there's lots of spirits in the world. It's not saying that they are all have a bunch of falsehood in them, but a lot of them do, and a lot of them are empty. And almost all of them are perishing. The Holy Spirit equips us now for this life and for the life to come, eternal life. It is a sweeter promise. And even when our own hearts condemn us, John says just earlier in this gospel, or in this letter, right? Even if your own heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Not even your own thinking about all this can be overcome or can overcome God. He is greater. He is greater. And so I want to leave us with this passage from Romans. And to put it, probably a familiar passage to many of us, but put it in this tone of the greatness of the Holy Spirit. Right? From Romans chapter 8. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, did not, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not more graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, no false prophets, no false teachings, no false influences of this life will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we have the Spirit, to trust in the overcoming power of God. He is greater Pray with me. Lord, be greater to us. Let us not be overcome by the world, but would you overcome us? Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be able to discern 
all the manners of influences in this life and fix our eyes on you, who is our greatness. Great is your faithfulness through Jesus Christ and by the power of your spirit. Amen.